0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: You have to say about listening to ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to begin with just a, a short exercise where you're going to close your eyes for a few minutes and hopefully not go to sleep. But um, well, one of the ways that I really um, have learned to talk to God. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, that I had a friend who found that talking to Jesus really helped her, the picture talking to Jesus, and that, was, that really sort of brought the barriers down and was very helpful to her. And something that I discovered, and I know some of you have done Bible studies along this line, are the questions that Jesus asked. That they have a way of helping us to know what it is we need to bring to him, and uh, to talk to him about what that is. Um, So we're going to uh, put ourselves into the story of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. So I'll just read it first, and then I'll ask you to close your eyes and picture yourself in this setting. This is Luke's version. This happens to be in three of the Gospels, so it's a very important one, and it's slightly different in each one. As he drew near to Jericho, and this is Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Very important. He's in Jericho, which is the town just before. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a multitude going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he, Bartimaeus, cried, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me receive my sight and Jesus said to him receive your sight your faith has made you well and immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God okay just get into a comfortable position and close your eyes for a moment And you picture yourself in the place of blind Bartimaeus. You're sitting on the side of the road. You're basically an outcast. You're begging for a living. And you hear that Jesus is passing by. Do you have the courage to call out to him? Can you say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Imagine that Jesus is approaching you. He hears your cry, even if you weren't able to say it aloud. He looks you straight in the eye and says, what do you want me to do for you? Can you tell him? What do you want him to do for you right here, right now? What is the cry of your heart to Jesus today? How does he respond to your request? Thank him for stopping, for asking, and for his response. Um. <coughs> I would rather have someone else read these, but apparently this is being taped, so I think it's better if I read the scripture. <laughs> that's the, the basis of this talk on listening to myself, listening to ourselves. <clears throat> From Psalm 51, 6, David's great penitential Psalm. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my, in my secret heart. From John 8, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And another psalm.
0: Oh, send out thy light and thy truth.
1: Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwellings. There's a lot of emphasis in those on truth. The truth in our inward being. What is the truth in my inward being? Now, this is the third part of listening. It's the part that took me the longest to appreciate. Um, I had a natural resistance to it. I thought as a Christian, this was, this was about self-absorption, you know, navel-gazing, that kind of thing. What is, what, why is that important, to listen to myself? I could understand listening to others. I could understand listening to God. But what does it mean to listen to myself? I was convicted, really, through um, the where Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love yourself? Did I love myself? Did I really not like every part of myself? Did I even know myself?
0: And this led me into. Um, a kind of journey with God of discovering who I really am, who He's created me to be.
1: It became a matter of really of stewardship. There's only one me. There's only one you. And you're the only one who can be that person. He's created you in that way. So it's not an end in itself, listening to yourself. It's not an end in itself. It's it's you and God. Who has God made you to be. And it's It's our responsibility, in a way, to know who we are and to be that person. Um, Now, I think there's another reason why we have a slight aversion to it, to this idea. And I think it's because intuitively that we know that it might just take me into a place of pain. If I get to know myself, my inner being. This is not the first layer, this is down at least to the second layer, maybe even the third. I get to know myself, I might find some things that I don't really want to face. And so um, it might just lead me into, I think there's an aversion to that to a certain extent. Now Jesus was very clear about a grain of wheat has to fall into the ground and die before it can bear fruit. The, 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 The paradigm of Christian growth, I believe, for the most part, is not about getting better. It's not about improvements. It's really a death resurrection cycle. We die so that we might be raised again. Now who wants to die? (laughs) Nobody wants to die. Jane talked last night about aging. What is aging? Just one death after another. <laughs> it's death of my skin, death of my hair, death of my muscles, death of my hearing, death of my memory. You name it. It's not fun. Nobody likes to die. Nobody wants to die. This is a natural aversion to that. But Paul was very clear in like 2 Corinthians about this. That His strength, he says he was given the answer from Jesus. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And he was denied the removal of the thorn in his flesh for that reason. So if we reject this process because of the pain that's involved, we're denying ourselves that possible resurrection. We're denying ourselves his strength being made perfect in our weakness. Um, As I said earlier, I believe it's more about subtraction than it is about addition. It's not building spiritual muscles. It's dying and dying and dying. To our ideas about
2: ourselves,
1: to what we're able to do or not do, what we can control, what we can't. Dying, death, and resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. Someone has said that God comes to us disguised as reality. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit. I think this is really a key in bridging that Romans 7 gap that we talked about. The gap between who I want to be in Christ, who I know He is, who I want to be, and long to be, and who I really am. We We want to live in our heads with this idea But in fact, the key to getting there is the reality we're facing in our lives. So, bridging the gap. To summarize, there's an underlying natural aversion to listening to ourselves, and it really is about having these dirty feet exposed. Yet it is through these very weaknesses that we grow closer to God and even more Christ-like. It's counterintuitive, and we resist it. And it's often painful. So how do I develop this listening attitude toward myself? It's really not that mysterious. God has given us many clues. There are many clues. And the first one, believe it or not, is our bodies. God is an incarnational God. Jesus came and dwelt in the flesh.
0: And our bodies
1: do not lie. In fact, Our reactions are registered in our bodies. Scientists taught us this. Our reactions to whatever is around us is registered in our bodies and the brain interprets it. It's not the brain taking it in and then us feeling it. It's the other way around. So the more we can learn to listen to our bodies, the quicker we can get to what's really going on. Um, And it leads to a kind of integration between mind, body, and spirit, something that, that people in the East have been a little better at than we have. As Christians, we are really happy to stay in our place. We've got a lot of words, and we've got a lot of theology, and it's a very happy place, and you know, it's an easy place to be. To integrate mind, body and spirit is much more difficult. But I believe we're being called to do that, and our bodies do not lie. So, just a few examples of how our bodies speak to us. What about tears? I saw some tears this morning. Um, they could have been because of sadness. They could have been because of relief. I personally always cry when something unexpectedly good happens. Now, how crazy is that? <laughs> but I've learned that that is, I'm saying this say something to me through that. He's saying, really, I don't expect goodness. I'm surprised by goodness. You know, it's the soldiers coming out from war, you know. (laughs) That's when we cry. Okay, well that kind of thing, that's telling me something about my my relationship with God and about myself. So listen to your tears. What makes you cry? It's a God-given sign. A second one would be from our bodies our um, anxiety or stress reaction. Now we have, you know, I don't know what your stress reaction is. It could be a change in your breathing. It could be sweating when it's cold. It could be, um, it's, it's really the fight or flight sympathetic nervous system that operates. And it's, it, you, all of you have a stress symptom that, that is activated when you're in, when something is disturbed.
2: Do you know what that is?
1: What is your stress symptom? And can you recognize that when it comes on? Our bodies were meant to, the sympathetic nervous system was designed to fight grizzly bears. It was not designed to get out of the door in the morning. And yet, most of us are living with that kind of adrenaline, that kind of stress. And it's terribly important to listen to it. Terribly important. Because it, it does more damage to our bodies than almost anything. So what is your anxiety symptom effect? Are you aware of it? Can you listen to it? Another example is one that Jane talked about last night. Sleep or not sleeping. Either you're sleeping all the time. What's going on? You're sleeping all the time because you're retreating from life in some way. Or you can't sleep. You're up. You're unable to sleep. You fall asleep and you wake up and you can't get back to sleep. Just It's a simple observation thing. What is God saying to you through your body? This is what Jane. This is what started Jane on the path that she talked about last night. It was that she couldn't sleep at night, and she listened to herself. I couldn't have dreamed of a better example than what Jane did last night. But she listened to herself in a way she was forced to, and I think that's what happens often with our bodies. We are forced to listen because something happens that puts us at you know, full stop. And that's what Jane was talking about last night. What's your body telling you? And can you listen to that? Can you not judge it, not try to fix it, but simply listen to it? What is it saying to you? Um, you may have other symptoms, physical symptoms, headaches. I used to have lots of headaches, and I, I pretty much know what they were about. You may have digestive problems. Um, you may have hormonal issues, you know, missing periods or heavy, you know, PMI or what's going on with that? What do you, can you listen to the signs that your body is saying? What about weight? Too much or too little? Are you eating compulsively? Just putting Or does putting on weight say something to you about a body image that you don't want to have? And so you're terribly fearful of it. As you know, this can get people into terrible, terrible troubles. Um, so wait, eating patterns. What, is, uh, what are they saying to you? The list is endless, but I would, I would even go so far as to say that it's things like cancer and kidney stones and um, all things. Jim Lennon, who had a ministry at the Advent years ago, saw a very, in his, in his healing ministry, he saw a very clear, observable, let's put it this way, there was an observable um, relationship between loss and cancer. Maybe you've had cancer. Have you asked yourself, what is the message? What is God trying to say to me through this? It's not, it's not a judgment. It's his voice trying to speak. And and I believe he he does do that. And if there's a message there, I don't want to miss it. Now why suffer with these things if we miss the message? So the body, it's not about blaming yourself. The point is not that. Because that would just compound the issue. And we do that, don't we? We blame ourselves for eating too much. Instead of just, if we can develop in our listening to ourselves a, a, an ability to step back. We're so identified with our feelings and with our, who we are that we have a hard time doing that. But if we can develop an ability to step back and look at ourselves, perhaps the way God sees us, if this can become a building point in our relationship with God. It's not about blame. It's not about guilt. It's about listening and observing. Um... And taking it really to the great physician, talking to him about it can be the, this can be the beginning of it. My sister um, was a wonderful witness to me about this. Um, she, um, I know I'll cry. Right. <laughs> Today it would have been her 70th birthday. She contract um, she had pancreatic cancer. Was diagnosed stage four metastatic pancreatic cancer. But she said, the, she was a light to people who knew her, an absolute light, because she said, and she meant it. She was not something. she's meant it. Cancer is my friend. It has been the doorway to so much that is life-giving, and I might have died without knowing the presence of God in my life without it. She said that. And she died at age 64, but she was a light. She refused, she said, whatever you do, don't put in my obituary that I lost a battle with cancer. It was not a battle. She, she listened to it as a word from God, and she got her life in order in a way that's most impressive. And I think she lived longer. If we set up a dualistic relationship with our bodies, it can, it can further destroy, it can just increase that stress. But she welcomed it, believe it or not. Something that devastating, she welcomed it. I wish she were still here. Now, so our body, that's one way. Second way that we might listen to ourselves is our emotions. Um, I love Psalm 42 and 43, when David asks himself, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me?
0: And David's taking a step back.
1: He's asking himself, what's going on? Why am I downcast? Um, it could be depression. It could be a downcast or discouraged spirit or paralysis or fatigue or whatever. But asking yourself a question, what is going on in my, um, in my emotions? Hmm. It could also be anxiety or irrational fears that cause you to do all sorts of things. Or it may be madness. It may be that your emotions cause you to get overly active and do things that sometimes you may regret. It may lead you into excessive shopping. It may lead you into excessive exercise. It may lead you into excessive eating. Why are you... But the point is, can you, can you step back and say what's going on here? Listen to your emotions. Anything that has the power to disturb you is your teacher. It's your teacher. Now, I have a hard time uh, expressing anger because it was really never allowed growing up. And, you know, I told you last night that I was the responsible caretaker. Uh, So it was very hard for me to express anger. I had something the other day happen and I felt kind of run over, you know, I felt ignored. Um, And I was definitely disturbed by that. I had a a disproportionate reaction to the situation. That's a clue. A disproportionate reaction to the
0: situation.
1: Um, It had actually touched a deep tape in me that my needs
0: were being ignored and somebody else's were going, and of mine. And um, so, fortunately, I was able to sort of stop myself and say, hmm,
1: what's going on here? What's going on? And I, the minute I could name it as anger, as Jane was talking about last night, I could name it oh, I'm angry that I was <laughs> ignored here. Ooh, it not that nice. It's not fun. But the, almost the minute that I could do that, that became a sort of confession. And it freed me. And I was able to see that the reaction wasn't about the person who had run over me. Who <laughs> bad. But nevertheless, it really wasn't so much about her as it was about me and what God was trying to say to me about anger and how just acknowledging it and recognizing it. I was able to see, ah, there it is again. My pattern. <laughs> my pattern. And it gave me a kind of healthy detachment from it, but also was able to take it. To, uh, to confess this to God and to um, and to be free of it, actually to be free of it. So anything that has the power to disturb you emotionally is your teacher. Now we have been taught sometimes in Christian circles to um, that feelings are not to be trusted. They're not, you know, they're not the truth. What God is and who He is and is absolutely rock solid. That's where we put our trust. But I believe, I come to believe, that feelings, while they may not be where we put our trust, but they are to be listened to. They're not to be repressed and they're not to be rationalized away, but they are they are they really are an avenue into healing. And Anne says this very very clearly in her book. She said that the depths of our staff ourselves are not our reasoning and our ideas. If we are to find God, we must learn to listen to these depths, to the emotions and feelings that we experience, and to use our minds then to help us understand what these emotions and feelings are saying to us. So I encourage you, listen to your emotions. And one further thing I want to say about it, I had an example of this recently where I was feeling a little blue because I was missing out on a family gathering in Florida because I had to stay in Connecticut to um, undergo some treatments, And I missed out on the time when two of our boys and their families were in Florida. I had planned my summer around this. And I was not happy about that. I was really, um, it, was, it was really a blow. It really sent me into a spiral down.
0: And there was a voice that wanted to say, oh Mary, you should be grateful for your diagnosis and treatment, you've got these great doctors,
1: and they're taking good care of you, and you're gonna be fine, and Paul will probably have, Paul stepped up to the plate and he took my place, and Paul will have a wonderful relationship that's different from what it would be like if you were there, and so all this, now did that help? I went into my head to try to counteract the that's in my heart. And all I wanna say is that that doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's really just—it's a form of suppression that will come out as resentment later on. And we tend to do that. I think Christians do this a lot. Oh, God is doing something good here, because we don't want to—we don't want to feel that loss and that—that that missing out. We don't want to miss that. You know, that—that's not fun to feel those feelings. But if we can feel them, it's amazing how going toward them instead of pushing them away has a healing power. Um, there's three maxims that I have learned. I didn't make them up, but I think they're true. You can write them down and see what you think about them. Feel to heal. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Everything in us wants to resist that. Feel to heal. The second one is part of it. What you resist persists. What you resist persists. And whatever or whoever has the power to disturb you is your teacher. That takes a lot of (laughs) self-care to be able to do that. But it's really true. These are avenues for growth.
0: Repeat that one, please.
1: The last one? Mm -hmm. Whatever or whoever has the power to disturb you is your teacher. you. You may have somebody in your life. You may have a sibling, you may have a co-worker, you may have somebody who really has the power to push your button. That person is your teacher, I hate to tell you. Probably sent from God. Um, and if you resist it, it will persist. If you're able to open up to it, it has a chance of teaching you something important. And it really is amazing how it will dissipate in its power, at least. At least in its power. If you can flip back and say, oh, there she did it again. Has the power to do that. Okay, those are the first two things listening to our bodies, and secondly, listening to our emotions. Um, two very helpful questions that I learned from Anne Long, long many years ago <coughs> What feeds you, and what drains you? You can be sure that if something feeds you, it's got grace in it. And you can almost be sure that if something drains you, leaving you depleted, it's some form of law. You're listening to a should. You're listening to somebody else's expectations. And it has the power to drain you. So ask yourself. These are questions. These are just ways of listening to yourself. What feeds you and what drains you? There are a couple of other models that I have found to be helpful. Um, None of this is, you know, these are all metaphors. (laughs) They're not not the whole picture, but they're metaphors that help us into this self-understanding. The model of true self and false self I think is another way of saying we're both saints and sinners at the same time.
0: We have a true self. That's the person God has created me to be.
1: That person is full of faith and love and confidence. I have a nickname for her because I didn't know who she was for a long time. <laughs> I, when someone said, "What's your true self look like?" I didn't really know, but I was able to figure out situations in which—and a lot for me—it had a lot to do with my work and my gardening. And there were situations in which I felt confident, I felt creative, I felt myself, I felt, you know, in, in charge in the right way, not not pleasing, whatever. And that was—that's my true self. That's part of it. Ask God to show you, if you don't know, what is your true self? Who has he created you to be? And then the false self is your defended self. It's your fearful self. It's your competitive self. It's your resentful self. It says, this is how you define the false self. You are what you do, what you have, or what other people think of you. That's your false self, not your true self. You are what you do, you are what you have, or you are what other people think of you. This is just another way of saying saints and sinners, can you recognize these in yourself?
0: If you're feeling resentful,
1: you can be sure that that's the false self that's been tied. The false self will die at death. It will not go to heaven with you. Your true self will. A false self will die. So anything that has to do with the false self, it could be money, it could be houses, it could be clothes, it could be my body that's falling apart. All those things will not go with me to heaven. So ultimately, they get in the way of who I'm really meant to be. So can you recognize these in yourself? Recognition is really, it's amazing. Recognition is the first step. It leads to confession if you're talking to God about it. Almost always. And that's, that's the, that's the root to transformation and redemption. Death, resurrection. This is a form of death and resurrection. So the true self and the false self, that's another model. Now there's another model that I have actually found helpful. You may think I'm nuts, but Anne Long actually introduced me to this. And I had in, enormous resistance initially, but it's the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is similar to, it's, it's sort of like um, Myers-Briggs, but I'm infinitely better. Because the Enneagram divides personalities, of course, it's it's not complete, but it divides personalities into nine types. And it's based on what need is driving you. Is it your need to be needed? Is it your need to be right? Is it your need to be um, recognized? Is it your need to to avoid pain? What's going on inside you? So it naturally leads to a kind of confession. And there's a picture as in the Enneagram of what a redeemed self looks like. So it's a, it's a much more consonant with Christianity. And don't look it up on the, on the internet <laughs> unless you look it up in terms of the Christian approach to Enneagram because it can go off in all sorts of weird directions. Weird directions. But the Enneagram, I'll tell you why it's been helpful to me. And I think this is true in general. The better we understand ourselves, the better we're able to love and accept ourselves and others. It even helps my husband to love me if I understand myself. And he can say, oh, there's Franklin, my father, again. You know, he knows that. (laughs) And he's not blaming me for anything, please change. He recognizes that that's coming through in me. My father was so um, self-effacing that he had a heart attack and didn't tell anybody until the visitors had left. He brought himself home from a stroke, uh, rather than tell somebody at the that he didn't have a stroke. I mean, so, you know, it's hard for me to know I have to go to the bathroom. So, <laughs> but it's really helped for Paul to know that this is my daddy living in me. It's not just Mary being, you know, giving herself away to the world. So Enneagram has, how it's helped me is to see that Paul's need, What's driving him is absolutely, almost the opposite of what's driving me. So it's given me compassion for other types. That's really a big thing. It's given me compassion for myself, to know what's driving me, and also to know um, what's driving other people. So these are just tools. These are just tools. They're inadequate, they're not perfect, but they are tools that can point us in the right direction. Now, um, another thing, um, Whereas a lot of this is a fairly non-dualistic way to approach these circumstances in our lives that we tend to want to fight, is, it's also important to know where you are vulnerable to a devilish attack. The devil is prowling about and he knows your weaknesses. And the very same weaknesses that can lead you to God are the points of entry for, the, for, for him to enter as well, often. So do you know where you're vulnerable to attack? Do you know what, um, where he's um, trying to, where he might be trying to destroy you? Is it things? Is it money? Is it gossip? Is it control? Is it a bad relationship? Is it lust for recognition? How do you recognize a devilish attack? Because that has extra power in it to take you down. That's his goal, take you down. Lie, you and destroy. That's what he wants to do. We need to know where we're vulnerable to attack. Um, Recognition is the first offense. So in summary, I want to say that listening to myself is the first step in how I grow in understanding and compassion for that gap between who I am and who I know God wants me to be, who he's created me to be. Self-understanding is the first step. Jesus said, as we read earlier, the truth shall set you free. This is a way to help me face the truth about myself, the truth in my inner being. The first step to freedom is recognition and telling the truth. Part of the goal of these exercises in truth-telling about ourselves is that if we can step outside ourselves, we can begin to get some perspective. If we're identified totally with ourselves and our emotions and our reactions, we will... And especially if we can do it without judgment. That's very hard. We can do it without judgment. We can say things like this. Wow, that really caused me to get upset. What was going on there? (coughs) Can you do that? Or you can say, I've been spending a lot of money lately. Look at the credit card bill. Just can't seem to stay away. What's going on? What's going on with me? Or we can say, every time I'm with her, I come away depressed. <laughs> what button is she pushing? that makes me feel so miserable. Or it could even be the other way around. Boy, that was an encouraging meeting. Surprise, surprise. I was dreading it. I wonder what made it so. Why was it good for me? I wonder if other people felt that way. Or there are things like politics. When someone brings up the election, and I want to scream and they "Can't you see? Are you some kind of idiot? Why does this subject make me lose my cool?" What's going on? Why am I, what am I attached to here? And the best, of course, is when we can if we can get good enough at this, we develop a sense of humor about ourselves. You will know you are free when you have a sense of humor about yourself. <laughs> Robin has taught me this more than any second. It's really true. She hooked me again, boy, she's playing me, <laughs> she could turn me into a
0: rogue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you see how this kind of self-reflection can lead to confession, to compassion, to forgiveness, and to personal freedom? Do you see how closely it's linked with listening to God? How do we know what to bring to Him if we're not listening to ourselves? Anne said that to me very clearly. I asked her not long ago, what's the relationship between listening to myself and listening to God? And she said, you cannot with integrity listen to God, unless you know yourself. She said it very plainly. So the three aspects of listening are interrelated. We saw this morning, some of you, for some of you it was uncomfortable. What listening to others tells us about ourselves? What are our listening patterns? Why do we find listening to some people particularly difficult or impossible? Why do we find others a safe place. That's this—it's the power. It's the power to disturb you that brings you to God, and that's the whole point. The whole point is to bring you to an encounter with God, to talk to Him about it. I did something happened just just before I came in here when I was praying about this time, and I thought, "Hmm, so and so, boy, I don't know." And I thought, "What's going on?" And I spent some time listening and talking to God about somebody that had had the power to disturb me. And it was was suffering, suffering. So that's what I encourage you to do, to listen to yourself and take it to God. Talk to him about it. We hear his voice, especially if we're bringing it together with scripture and journal writing and all these things. That's where we hear his voice, when we genuinely bring to him what is disturbing us. We're listening to that. We're not repressing it. We're not giving Christian platitudes to it. We're listening to it. He is coming to us in all sorts of ways, including our bodies, our emotions, our self-understanding of all in all these ways. That's really all I have. It's two, almost two o'clock. Um, I can either take questions or we.
2: Yeah, let's take questions. Okay. Oh, can no. you, is that okay? <laughs> 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 is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Wait, is your body <laughs> saying
1: that's
2: okay? Yeah, fine. Uh, I'll let you know
1: when my body says it's shut down. Yes, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell Enneagram? Oh. Okay. E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. <laughs> The reason I prefer the Enneagram to Myers-Briggs, I felt that Myers-Briggs was something where people would say, I'm an introvert and that's the way I am and there's no changing that. Mm-hmm. You know, or I'm an introvert, ex- you know, there was a kind of, this is who I am, like it or want it. And I didn't find any confession, I didn't find any humility, I didn't find, like, that didn't lead to something more. Where the Enneagram, I think, has, it. from a
2: Christian point, Mary? I might going to cut you off. No, that's fine. That's awesome.
1: The first night, last night you were about the external and internal distractions and one of the ways you got rid of some of those distractions or other voices was something you called a centering prayer. Can you tell us a little bit more about what a centering prayer is? Well, centering prayer is something that was developed by Thomas who who is a um, um, Catholic priest. He was in, and he was the abbot of a monastery In um, Massachusetts, near Spencer, Massachusetts, and there was a Buddhist monastery down the road, and people kept stopping at this monastery to ask directions to the Buddhist monastery. (laughs) Especially young people, they were asking directions to the Buddhist monastery. And he said, "What is it that they're getting there that we have in our tradition that is better, really better, taking us to God?" not just to ourselves. And um, the Buddhist goal is to be free, uh, you know, to let go of attachment. It, it's a great step. It's a great practical tool. It can be. But it's not a god. And this is, um, and so Thomas Keating, together with the book called The Cloud of Unknowing, written by... Merton. No, not Merton. No, no, it was John of the Cross or somebody like that. It was yeah. an ancient, an old book called The Cloud of Unknowing, in which he described a process of praying. And so Thomas Keating looked at this book, and it was originally known as The Prayer of the Cloud. So it came from that. And they put together a way of praying that was a kind of Christian meditation that was about emptying. There are different kinds of meditation. There are... There are meditations where you focus on something, and it's like an icon or a candle or something like that, and that can be helpful. It can stop, it can stop the mind. It can stop the mind. It can be very helpful. I'm not going to, I'm not dumping on that. But the centering prayer was really about not trying to control your thoughts as much as recognizing them and letting them go. So in centering prayer, you do two things. You um, you start with a prayer and you, oh, I, I usually start with a deep breath and what have you, but you also have a sacred word which you pray for God, to, for God to give you. And you have a word like it can be Jesus, it can be love, it can be Father, it can be Abba, it can be faith, it can be trust, but a word that has the power to put you back in line, centered, true north, before God. So it has that kind of instant ability, when you say it, to to reorient you. That's why it's called centering. And so you have this sacred word which you use when your mind goes off, gets hooked, and goes off on a tangent, and you're all of a sudden, you know, you're shopping at LB, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 it's a way of bringing you back to this quiet. But the goal of centering prayer is to to spend time, it's intentional, you You generally want to you want to do it for 20 minutes. That's really the best time. So you sit quietly and you as and you start with your centering with your word. And then you as thoughts come your way, instead of resisting them, you just let them go. And if you're unable to let them go, you say your sacred word, and it brings you back to center. And the idea of this is that the Holy Spirit is is clearing those passages, is clearing those inner distractions. And it's allowing uh, the Holy Spirit to pray through us. We believe that from um, the passage in Paul's, that the Holy Spirit is praying through us with words, with groans too deep for words. And so it's trusting that God is at work in me in the silence. Now, we're very word-oriented. I spent a long time teaching about prayer, about getting the right prayer, asking the right prayer, the prayer that was in line with, What God wanted me to ask and all that. And there's still still validity in that, but there's something really quite special about what happens when I recognize that God is at work in me. It's very much a reformational stance. I bring nothing to the table, it's 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 clearing those inner distractions and allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through me. And so that's what it is. What? Transcendental meditation is not that. No, no, it's not, no, no, no. No. no, there are other, kinds, worry, there not other kinds of meditation. Most of them are focused meditation. This is not a focused meditation. This is an, a letting go meditation. And it's, it's a kind of, but it is a way of quieting the inner voices. I needed the discipline to help me do that. Maybe you can sit down and, and let those thoughts go, but it's, it, I didn't find it that easy. And we're in a group. In our church, in our physical church in Florida, a group of people. Most of them are in our age group <laughs> because we're all wanting quieter services and quieter time. And we sit in the church together, and it is it is really powerful. We sit in the church together for 20 minutes and do centering prayer together. We have a meditation at the beginning, a word. It's always word centered. There's always a word at the beginning, and then we sit. In the candlelit silence, and all of us are turning our turning our gaze toward God, and you feel it. You know that that's what's happening, and it's really quite powerful. So Paul and I are in this group. It's an amazing, um, it's older couples mostly. It's really very interesting. It's people, and it, a lot of couples, a lot of them, you'd be surprised how many men actually find it. Um, helpful. so And you know, Paul is always in his head. So <laughs> I mean, it's really helpful for him to stop those voices. He lives in his head. For people who do that, this is particularly helpful. Sorry, it's a long answer. Yes. I
2: just want to thank you for stressing the breathing, um, the fact that some of us actually have to learn that there is a tension and it's a. Um, wrong breathing, and the, the fact that I learned this from some young people, it, it's changed my life. It wasn't the breathing, but it's what it brought about. And I don't lie down anymore. I put the timer on my phone. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in a chair with a lumbar pillow. But the breathing starts the process, and it's changed my life Honestly. in myriads
0: of ways. And it's not the breathing, but it leads me into, as you have just stressed,
2: the most important thing is then what do we do with that yeah. space right. so thank you for making that a stress it's, it's
1: a god-given thing mm-hmm. our breathing is the only one of you we can't control our heartbeat we can't control our blood pressure directly this indirectly does but breathing is tapped in directly to the sympathetic nervous system which is the flight poly- or poly- 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 and if and, and breathing brings oxygen to the cells and if you i learned this from ann long Years ago, she was way well over time, and she would have us sit and go through a whole body scan and you'd be amazed where you're holding tension. I, I think I've been cured, for the most part, of headaches because I didn't realize how much tension I was holding in my head, and right around my eyes and stuff. And when you breathe into that space where you're holding tension, it lets go. And so the whole point, I mean, the point of this is not in an and in itself. The point of it is to clear those passages and get rid of those things that are keeping us from God, from union with God and with our true selves that he's made us to do. I hope you understand that. How about that's clear? I'm not, I don't see it as an end in itself. Anybody? Yes? Um, our small group was talking a little bit about kind of what you were saying last night, uh, listening to God and how we kind of at the tail end you
2: were saying that like you were either going to kind of go into um, discerning God's voice
1: from others or doing self-reflection and we're all like, wait, no, you to <laughs> <a> more about <laughs> discerning God's voice? I hate to break it back
0: up. This
1: phone, it. That's okay. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Your Thank your you very nice. much. That's okay. Oh, yeah. I grew up with it. And I, can I tell you, I grew up with an aunt who was always saying the Lord told me to do stuff. <laughs> and it turned her children, her, I mean, not her, her children, it completely turned her children off to <laughs> faith. It did. It turned them off. Um, because she was usually saying, I'm not making it up. The Lord told me to buy this new Lincoln Continental. She did. She did. I'm looking for my <laughs> um, So, how do we know that it's, the, that it's the voice of God that I hear? There, there's, sort of some char- there's some characteristics about the voice of God. And the first is that it's going to be consonant with Scripture. You can, I can't stress this enough. I thank God for the Sunday school teachers who who
0: made it a game for me to learn Scripture as a child.
1: You know, there's an age when a child loves to memorize.
0: Schools have forgotten this most
1: most of the time. You know, they want you to memorize your times so it's maybe, but there's a there's a period in Sunday school education. Miriam knows this, Carmen, that when that learning Scripture is a, is a game. I learned it's called a sword drill, you know, that's what I grew up with. Well, those that scripture is part of me. I can pull on it all the time, and I'm so grateful for it. So I can't say enough about being in the scripture. I read the scripture every day, and I have for years. And there's just no substitute for it, because that's how we know what God is like. That's how we hear who he is. That's the number one thing. So it's going to be consonant with scripture. God is not probably not going to tell you to leave your husband. <laughs> but some people have said that. And it's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. But I just know that you, it's going to be constant with Scripture. Secondly, it's going to be lasting. It's going to be something that will stand the test of time. And it will stand the test of running it by other people. You'll notice sometimes that people who think the Lord has told them to do something are very nervous about talking to other people about it and taking it to somebody else for wisdom. So it's going to, um, and that was the problem with my aunt, is it, it didn't ring true. I'm not I'm really not making it up. It really turned my dad, it made my daddy who was self-facing already not want to talk about faith ever. She had that effect. So that's one thing. It's, it's, it's constant scripture. It's lasting. It's often surprising and very clear. I'll tell you a story on myself. I told you about this responsibility of Mary, this need to be, you know, no needs. Mine were overlooked and I had to take care of others. And I'm convinced that God really brought this to God in recent years. My whole eight-day silent retreat was about that, of trying to turn this around. It's a deep, deep script, It's like a groove that I just revert to taking care of others, no needs, that kind of thing. And I really brought this with real seriousness God. I want this change. And it's very deep. And the answer I believe I got to this was a diagnosis that I didn't want. My children were getting new fabulous jobs, fabulous book contracts. Paul had a new life um, come out of a, a diagnosis too, but he just, he was just coming to life and doing extremely well, and I get breast cancer. That's really how it felt. And so it just reinforced that script that I was getting short of the And um, so, but I thought, I knew, I, I heard the voice of God saying this, I heard in the sermon a couple weeks before, you may not get the answer. And that just came back to me. I said somehow this is an answer to prayer. God's not cursing me. He is. There's a blessing in this. And he's trying to turn around this pattern of me through this. I was going to have to be taken care of. I was going to have to be receiving end. Now, I'm a little slow, and this is a very deep groove. So the other <laughs> night, I had gone through several weeks of radiation therapy and surgery and all that stuff. And Paul and I were watching a movie, and it was um, I got I was tired, and I said, "Let's stop. Let me. I'm just too tired." And it was a big thing for me to do that in you know, for all the movies. And so I stopped the movie, and we went upstairs, and he starts unloading the dishwasher, and so I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and I'm like, "Oh, I should help him. <laughs> you know, he needs my help to unload the dishwasher." <laughs> I'm not making this up a bit. So I got up unbeknownst to him, he's unloading the dishwasher, and I walk over to help him because he needed my help, right? Do you know what He pulled a plate out of the dishwasher and hit me in the mouth because he didn't see me because I had no business being there. Okay, it's, my, it's my fault. He hit me in the mouth. I had a bloody lip and a broken front tooth. <laughs> the words. That's surprising, but very clear. Mary, receive, receive, receive. That was the voice of God. And he was really determined that I would hear it. I had to go to the gym. I mean, it was awful. I felt terrible. I felt terrible. But it happened, and it was true. And I heard the voice of God, and I still hear it. I hear that voice. So that voice that comes to you, when it's that clear, you know it's God. Um, what else can I say about it? The more we seek him, the more we hear his voice, the more we're going to recognize it. I knew that that was God's saying, and I believe that's how he's, he's using this determined, this deep pattern in me, very deep. It goes back to, so far back, so far back. It goes back to when my, daughter, my sister was born at 18, when I was 14 months old. That's when it started. You know, I, don't, I love my sister. I don't understand, but I was unseated. seated. I was unseated at that point, and I was too young. You look at a 14-month-old and see how young that is. So it goes way back, these things have a way of driving us. Okay, that's, that's really, does that help?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's lasting,
1: it's, it's usually kind of surprising, but it's memorable, and it is consonant with Scripture and what God's doing, and it comes out of this relationship this give and take relationship. Okay, I think we can finish. that <laughs> all right? I'm going to just end with a prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, give us hearts that listen. Hearts that listen to you in silence. Hearts that listen to those we meet. To those in trouble. With your compassion and understanding. Hearts that listen to ourselves and turn us toward you, give us the wisdom to know when to speak and when to hold our peace. Please forgive us all the times we have failed to listen and so missed the chance to really help. Silence us, Lord. For your name's sake, amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Mary. How wonderful. What a feast we've enjoyed so far this weekend. And the feast continues, Mary, hopefully we'll be able to get some rest now and (laughs) retreat with us and enjoy. Um, We still have stuff going on this evening. We're going to have a time of free time right now. If you've signed up for a prayer um, appointment, there will be appointments listed in the back. Um, And I just want to take a moment while we're all here to say thank you. So if you could join me in thanking Emily Pruitt. Sister Clapp and Lila Burnett, who have fed us all so well. And and also Marnie Wood, who is a new member of the team. (laughs) Thank you, Marnie. some of our leaders from the past from Women's Ministry. So this past year, um, Ann Lynn Langlow is she still here? Are you here, Ann Lynn? Yeah. Will you just stand up? Ann Lynn has been our ECW President for the last year and so we're so grateful for her. Ministry. Charmin has not is not here this weekend but maybe she'll be here in the fall at our luncheon she's been unable to be at the retreat for the last few years she used to run this whole retreat by herself and so the team in the kitchen is saying wait a second Elizabeth is that and that and that and that for all these people all these years And that's true. And she also has been so wonderful throughout the year as well, leading so many other different events, making it possible for so many of us to come and receive from the Lord through speakers, through um, Christ in the Christmas Crunch, through all of the coffees that have ever been. And so um, she is in a wonderful season where the Lord is doing new and different things in her life. And so, um, one of the things, so thank her when you see her for all of her love and service. Um, th- and then also, I wanted this time, I wanted to just let you know that some things are changing in the way we do women's ministry. Um, as you can see, if any of you are familiar with the vine and trellis language, the trellis is the structure that supports the growth of um, spiritual fruit. Whether that's the spiritual growth inward, according to Galatians, that fruit of the spirit that the Lord cultivates in us, or also the multiplication of disciples, as many more come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in depth of faith and trust in Him. That is the vine, that's the fruit that God is doing in our lives. And that's even visible, I love thinking about that fruit, even just being visible in people, in bodies and space. This right here, this is like a vine. All of these beautiful hearts, gathered right here in this room and the ministry, the stuff that I do and that leaders do with me is really meant only to support that um, and help it grow and help it grow where the Lord is intending for it to grow and so we're entering into a new season where we're changing some of that undergrowth that some of that structure that helps hopefully the vine continue to grow and thrive and so what that means is that instead of having multiple leaders doing different things what we're going to do is we're going to have one leader who will work with me very um, intensely and she will also oversee a lot of other leaders in areas of ministry that are going to reflect our vision statement that was recently released um, from the church this time last year. So, um, Shannon, and where are you? Shannon is in the back, and Shannon Shannon is going to, do you want to, are you going to be able to, do you want to go outside? You won't have to go between chairs. Oh, amen. <laughs> <laughs> while, while Shannon is making her way up to here, I want to draw your attention to a card that was given in your retreat booklet, the gramophone booklet. If you don't have one of these cards, we have plenty more in the back. I want to encourage you to take at least one for yourself, but grab some more for friends or your Bible study or anyone who's not here. And you'll see um, it's basically um, on one side we have events and things that are going on this year, and on the other side we just have some basic information about who we are as women of the Advent. One thing before Shannon takes over is I just want to say, and actually I Shannon, I I'm going to ask you to come this way because you'll get feedback in front of this. I'm going to give you my microphone to get a cuddle up. Um, but just as that, um, oh, I forgot I was going to say Ah, yeah, women's ministry. You might think women's ministry, well, Deborah's the director of women's ministry. That's her ministry to us, or that's not true. <laughs> women's ministry, if you're not clear on this, it's actually every woman in the body of Christ, in our church, ministering to every other woman. And there are many different ways in which we do that, and we're hoping to do that in a more clear, transparent, and accessible way. And that's a little bit what Shannon might say or may not. You might need to even cut near to me just so we don't explode down the water with the feedback. Sorry.
0: Um, hi. Um, Deborah mentioned that the Advent, has, as you all know, has gone through a long vision process, and we recognize that we are a church um, with a daring confidence in um, the gospel. Um, and that we exist to proclaim the freeing power of Jesus. And how do we do that? Um, And as women, how do we do that with our family, with our friends, and with each other? And do it intentionally um, and strategically. And so what we have talked about doing is combining ECW and Women of the Advent. And I don't know about you all, but I joined the Advent in 1998. And I was in my 20s, I was practicing law, and I sat by myself on the back pew, and there were all these... Um, acronyms, and I had no idea if it was me or not me. Am I ECW, am I Guild, am I this, am I that? So we're the women of the Advent. If you're a woman, and you're of the Advent, (laughs) you're welcome. (laughs) And needed, and invited. And um, we really realized that we want to make sure that we are matching um, the goals of our church, and so we've established buckets, I guess is one thing to call them, little strategic areas. And so they are fellowship, fun, um, discipleship, Um, which is really what we're called to do is to disciple to one another. And so how do do we train each other to disciple? How do we reach out to each other to disciple? How do we build disciples? Um, Mentoring, this is super exciting y'all. We're going to create a mentoring process. If you'd like to be a mentor, if you'd like to be mentored um, in your walk with Jesus, that's exciting. There's a box in the back and you can put your name confidentially in it and your information. You want to be a mentor or a mentee? We're going to have training. Um, We're going to come alongside you. I need a mentor. Uh, we all do. We all, do, all, do, right? we all um, need a mentor, and we all can Minty. Can Another one is shepherding, and that's really pastoral care. And none of these are going to be duplicative of what the church is already doing. It's just women coming alongside women and ministering to each other, and then to service. Um, and then we have an ECW liaison who will continue to work with all the churches in our in our diocese. Um, and we think it's really exciting, but we need everybody in this room and all of your friends involved. And so there's some sign-up sheets in the back of the table to sign up to mentor or to be mentee. Men- mentor, <laughs> that's impossible. <laughs> and then um, also so to ridiculous. sign up to volunteer. And there's lots of opportunities. And um, Deborah has been saying, we're sort of building this plane while we're in the air. Mm-hmm. So if you have suggestions, please. please. I, think, I think my email is on yeah, this card.
2: Yeah, she has at the bottom.
0: I love suggestions, so please share. And um, I thank you all for now. Love Jesus and for being here and for your um, interest in ministering to each other. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) On the back of this.
2: I know you're tired and you're ready for free time, so this is the last little piece of information. On the back of this card, there are different things that, we're that will be going on for women available this fall, all the way through the end of the year. Um, so just keep this and mark your calendars for them. Also, one big thing to mention coming up really next, about 10 days, is that we have um, a lot of Bible studies beginning after Rally Day. One Bible study beginning the Monday after Rally Rally Day actually Asks one of those questions and sits with one of those questions that Jesus asked his disciples, even as Mary was talking about in her talk, who do you say that I am? Um, So that's one opportunity. There are several others. If you get this and you have some questions about it, you can feel free to ask me any questions about it. Not only do we have Bible studies that are available on an ongoing open basis, um, present at the church, etc., but there are also Uh, many, many small groups. If you have not been a part of a small group and you enjoyed your time this weekend um, with your small group and you'd like to know more, you can talk to Fontaine Pope or you can sign up just below where the small groups were listed.
0: You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.